We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I just took my AirPods. Oh my God. Hello. That sounds eight times better. What's going on? Perfect. All right, so we're just going to have to do it without the AirPods. That's great. Uh, You sound great now. What's going on, dude? I can't complain. You know, just ready to get this space started. Um, Took us a little while, but we're here now. Uh, I guess I'll leave it to you to officially start it off. And I'll jump in with all of our great speakers. Want to thank everybody for coming in. Sorry for the late start, but that works for some of us because I know, like, Rob is on the West Coast. So. Yeah, just all right. Well, let's talk some New York Knicks basketball. Basically, you look at the last week of Knicks ball and it's not pretty. Um, We've got a lot of games to catch up on since last week's episode. I believe last week's episode was the Pelicans game discussed or was it a preview of that game? Did you guys do Saturday or Sunday? We did. Pelicans game had been played, right? The Pelicans had already played, yes. Okay. So this week, we have to catch up on two matchups against our friendly foes, the Cleveland Cavaliers, as well as the first ever New York Knicks in-season tournament appearance um, against the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, I'll do Sean's shtick to give Andrew an official start time. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to KFS Study Hall. I'm Chris Persiane, and here alongside Mensa Smith, we have the uh, two of the three hosts rotating in every week here on Study Hall. It's real exciting to be here with you guys this week, catching up on Knicks basketball, and most importantly, getting your guys' takes, bringing you guys up on stage, hearing from you guys. So welcome to Study Hall. Hope everyone's having a nice week so far. Hope everyone's weekend is going well. If you watch NFL football, I hope you're enjoying Miami, Kansas City, but it's really nice you're here with us. Mensa, man, I want to almost just start out with you as if you're a caller here. What were your takeaways from this week of Knicks ball, the two games against Cleveland and the one game against Milwaukee? Try your challenge just to go as long as you can without naming a player. Easy. Okay. So personally, I'm not, I haven't hit the panic button yet. I know a lot of people have hit the panic button because we're two and four. Um, but just for a bit of context, those losses came to Boston, a really good, um, if inconsistent, New Orleans team. We lost to a contender in Milwaukee and we lost uh, a home and home to 
Cleveland, who was also going to be a really good team. I mean, the losses watching them, they weren't that great. I didn't feel good about losing any of those games, to be honest. I feel like every game that we lost, maybe with the exception of the New Orleans game, which happened last week, um, was was winnable. And we didn't win games because of thing because of self-inflicted wounds. But it's still early in the season. Um, vibes are still high for me. And I still believe in this Knicks basketball team. They just have to turn it around. Uh, one player in particular, but I'm not going to name any names. Um, let's. I guess we can start with the first Cleveland game, which went, which was it was a it was a mud show, um, a rock fight, as some people would say. Didn't really play that well, um, but the defense came through. Um, couldn't stop Donovan Mitchell in the first half. Slowed him down in the second half and ended up pulling out a win. The second game, we had we didn't. I mean, again, it's just hard to win home and homes it's very difficult to win games uh to beat a team twice in a row even unless it's the playoffs and you're playing cleveland then it's a little different but um didn't really didn't enjoy that game too much but again nothing to sound the alarm for and then the the first in-season tournament game not a fan of the courts but the game it, it felt like it was always in reach and we ended up taking a lead late there but couldn't hold on i mean that's you could we had what maybe the third best player on the court in and um against a team in Milwaukee that has two what top ten basketball players, maybe top seven. I'm just trying to figure where I would uh, put uh, Dame instead because I because Giannis is obviously perennially in that top three conversation, but not too sure if you want to have Dame top seven, top twelve, top wherever. But they're a really good basketball team, even if they're still figuring it out as well. So I'm not too worried about anything that's happening right now as far as the record, but there are some troubling trends that I think we should get to address today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you you talk a lot about the NBA heading into the season and a lot of what goes into people's predictions and projections are precedents. Um, How have these teams performed over the last several seasons? What kind of players do they have? Can you bet on them? Um, I think so far this season, nothing has happened enough times to where there's a precedent set. I think there are patterns forming. Um, As opposed to talking about what those patterns are, I'm almost more interested in what's leading to them because the patterns may change, right? They may never fully develop, but the issues that are causing them may last throughout the season. Um, So, you know, trying trying to talk disease over symptoms, if you will, Assuming that there is a, you know, whatever, disease just meaning negative aspects of, of the Encore product. Um, but yeah, causes over just symptoms, I think, is an important distinction. Um, first of all, the balls, the ball moves. <laughs> I think that's a place to start. The ball moves, especially in the second unit. It's unsurprising that once again, the second unit moves the ball better than the first unit. Um, DiVincenzo is playing a lot of point guard. Um, him and Quickly sharing those duties off the bench, but Quickly really great, really productive this season. Barrett really great, really productive. Um, you have some guys that have shown you what they were last season, but have also shown you some of the new problems that they might bring to the table with the roster construction, you know, like a Jalen Brunson. Um, even Julius Randle has shown some flashes, but just, I think that the focus for me with Randle is not specifically his play. I'm sure 
this stretch of play will not translate to the full 82-game sample size. What does concern me is the team's ability to pivot when he is having a rough game. Because as of right now, Randall having a rough game results in Randall getting 36 minutes. And so me personally, Mensa, I'm more interested in discussing what plan B is than I am switching up plan A. I think the Knicks are fine rolling how they've been rolling. You know, and the reason I'm pretty confident in that is really just because of the precedent they've set of being a good team despite not having mortgaged their future draft capital. I think keeping that couple of aces up their sleeve is really important for them, um, just front office-wise. You take a look at this year, what what they've done, and none of it sounds that bad when you think, oh, but they're going to move for a big-time star. I think everyone knows they're going to move for a big-time star at some point. I think they know they're going to move for a big-time star at some point. Is Julius Randle upset about the Embiid trade rumors that I'm sure he saw? Um, where his name was thrown around in the Knicks offer. You know, does he view those as credible? Did he talk to the front office? Did they confirm those? I don't know, right? But there's a myriad of factors as to what could be off this season. And I do think that um, the, the the estimation that something is incredibly unfixably off with this Knicks team is, is, is a little bit of an overreaction. I do think, though, that some of the problems you're seeing right now will be problems we discuss if it gets to playoff time. For example, Randall has a tough start to a playoff game because say he has Giannis Antetokounmpo guarding him one-on-one. Well, do you go to Hart? Do you go to Barrett? You kind of have to go to Brunson and Barrett. You know, like it's just um, how well has this team set itself up for Julius Randall having rough games, which by now they should know is something they need to be prepared for. I thought the New York Jets last season weren't well enough prepared for the possibility that Dwayne Brown would get hurt, which is, you know, given his age, something they had to be ready for. And despite the fact that they had a bunch of unlucky breaks, I still came down hard on Joe Douglas for not being ready for those unlucky breaks. I think it's, I think it's the same logic here. You know, it's not about expecting the worst it's about being ready for it and i'm not sure that this Knicks team this season is ready to see what their worst even is or maybe they've shown it already and have nowhere to go but up but it's definitely a start that makes you think you hope this isn't a pattern that solidifies um i think naturally coming off of a second round playoff appearance and the main thing is going to be can they do it again um, I do think that nothing nothing good is linear, you know, like nothing nothing good and sustainable is gonna happen super linearly. I, I, I think the fan base should prepare itself now for a not a step back season, but just to go to look at this season as repeating last year would be a good outcome. That would be a good outcome. It should not be the expectation. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that, especially seeing where our second most important player on this team in Julius Randle, how he started the season historically bad for not just him, but basketball players in general, being able to overcome that, like you said, what's the plan B if a guy like Julius Randle can't return to form from last season? Um, I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast about whether or not if it's too 
is it too soon to start talking about trading Julius Randle? And that wasn't what I'm really interested in talking about. One of the um, one of the guys on the podcast who is apparently a Kentucky fan saying that they were dealing with this all the way back when he was a freshman at Kentucky, his inconsistency, and then he finally got it together and they made this run to the championship game that I believe they lost to Shabazz Napier's UConn Huskies. Um, just to hear that, like that wasn't comforting to hear that it was a problem for him when he was – I want to say 19 years old. He turns 29 this month, and it's still a problem for him. Just that inconsistency is not something that the New York Knicks can afford to build around. Just because you already have a guy like Jalen Brunson in the building who's ready to win right now. You have a guy like R.J. Barrett who's ascending. You have a guy like Quentin Grimes who needs that confidence, right? He needs to be more involved. And having Julius Randle's ISO-heavy shot chart is – and his inability, not inability, but his unwillingness to set screens and his unwillingness at this point in the season, it seems, to to involve other guys. It's not helping a guy like Quentin Grimes. You have Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo. They weren't brought on to take a step back. They came in to the season in order to have a, a good season, you know, to, to play and push this New York Knicks program forward. Mitchell Robinson is playing like I thought, like when we recorded – when we recorded the Casual Friday podcast, I had him as a top 10 defender in the NBA. He's playing like like a top five defender in the NBA, regardless of position. He's just been lights out. I'm so happy to see what he's doing. And just, just I'm saying all that to say that the Knicks are not in a place where a guy that they're relying on heavily to be playing as poorly as Julius Randle. So it, I think we should start discussing plan B's and what that would look like for the New York Knicks as soon as even the trade deadline, maybe before that, if Julius Randle has to move to more, like bring that usage down. I know we spoke about that on the last study hall, bringing his usage down and being more of like a de facto, like a bizarro Draymond Green almost, where he's passing and he's rebounding and he's engaging himself on defense, but not necessarily shooting those terrible, um, taking those terrible shots that he's been taking. But I do want to say that it is important to realize how, just how terrible he's gotten off to a start and that regression to the mean for Julius Randle seems likely. I don't expect him to shoot, I think, what, it's like 7% at the rim. I don't expect the guy built like Julius Randle to continue that trend. So while plan Bs are important, and I do think that they're a lot because this, this Knicks team is very talented and we can pivot away from Julius Randle while keeping the roster construction the same, it is it is likely that Julius Randle won't continue to be this bad at basketball all season. Yeah, you know, the thing with Randle is you can talk about the build, but I, I love to say that he's 6'9", 255, the ability to pass, shoot, and dribble, right? I think it's just an underrated like way to describe his game. I don't think... I think people love that sentence in a vacuum, right? But the problem is what he chooses to do with it. You know, I get on Tatum and Brown up in Boston for being too contact averse. They need to get the pads on and get like mellow, especially Tatum. Get down in the post. Work for those easy buckets. Just use your skill and make it a layup, right? But they love shooting from outside. They love dancing on people. So it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough to look at to to look at Randall and and watch him, you know, have Drew Holiday on him for the entirety of that opening night game, and watch him never really take him to the cup and be like, yeah, Randall's six nine two fifty five. Like, I don't know if that build speaks for itself. I don't think he plays like it. 
Um, now I always used to say Christoph Porzingis is like a center that plays like a, like he's like a six, seven shooting guard, you know? Um, but just doesn't know he's seven, two. <laughs> I think now Kristaps plays like he's tall, um, shoots over people like when less open than he used to need to be to shoot, etc. Uh, Randall doesn't play like his size. He plays like he's built like Dylan Brooks, man. So he plays like he's like a stocky six, six wing, um, like a Bane, like a Brooks. I know I'm, I'm going Memphis here, but you know, I just think that Randall needs to, to want to play that way for me to bank on that. Um, if he doesn't, will his rim conversion percentage go up? I'm sure. I'm very sure of it. You're right. 7% not going to last. The thing is, are we going to get to 58% finishing at the rim or like, can we get turn him into a dynamo that that finishes 64, 66 around? Like, what what do you get? And I don't think what you end up getting is is anything where you're looking at him and going like, oh, thank God he has that build because he really, you know, like he really revived his season by getting to the to the rack and staying physical. Um, I'm just not sure that that's that that's there. Yeah, no, I again, you're 100 percent on the money with that because and I'm the, always who comes in in defense of Randall, especially on this show. I come in in defense of Randall a lot, but. This season, you know, this is the first. Everyone always says, oh, he doesn't care. Oh, he plays like he doesn't care. I've never agreed. This is the first time I'm looking at him and I'm like, yeah, he looks like he's playing like he doesn't care. Again, six games in, lots of trends still to be established, patterns to develop. But you need, you need, if you want to look at it in a vacuum, you need an acceptable level of effort from someone who you pay as much as they pay Randall to have as much usage as Randall gets. You, you, the prerequisite for that is playing like you want to be there. Um, I'm not sure that we, that, you know, we as, as New York Knicks watchers or, or that the New York Knicks fan base, that they feel like they've gotten that so far this season. Do uh, as a side, do I think the Knicks fan base can be a little pick and choosy about what they find acceptable or not? Or oh, Tua just fumbled the hell out of that snap. Um, <laughs> but do I think that players are pick and choosy about what they accept or not? Like yes, yeah. I'm so sorry, fans are pick and choosy about which players they accept or not. Like for example, that play that everyone's posting where Randall walked back on defense. He was staying with Giannis. Yeah. He was tagging who was his man. There was one New York Nick who didn't have his man on that play, and it was Quentin Grimes, right? But the Knicks Twitter fan base would never, ever get on Grimes for something like that. So, of course, it's Randall's fault. Those are the situations that make the worst Randall apologists see all Nick fans as just unreasonable Randall haters. And then there are plays when Julius, like, sets a screen and makes contact and gets lauded for it. And those make the most uh, fervent Randall haters think that the Randall apologist will support anything he does. I, I think both sides of the debate are too far apart from each other when people agree more than they think they do. Yeah, definitely. Um, we just want, as Knicks fans, we just want our guys to consistently try hard. And because Quentin Grimes is viewed as a player who tries hard on every play, we're more likely to give him leeway when Julius Randle, like, it's re like when it's funny it, because last year, like, R.J. Barrett's bad plays, like, to the eye looked really, 
really bad. Like some of those misses at the rim were not fun to watch. It's the same thing with Julius Randle's effort. You know, like when he's not trying, oh man, it like it will it it grates on your nerves to watch him play because it there's just something about like he he'll like be waving guys off and he'll be lost in the middle of the defense. Like Julian, when he's not engaged, he is the definition of lost in the sauce. And we really value our sauce in New York, man. Like it's just not what you want when you watch him play. And I think that's why most Knicks fans tend to not give Julius Randle the grace that we give some of our younger players, which is another factor because Julius Randle is in year 10. He's been, this is his 10th year in the league. And at some point you kind of just have, you kind of just are who you are. And when we are a team that has continued to put the right guys in the right places and continue to build this thing the right way to have a guy who can't be consistent be the reason that your team is not where you think it should be because we're two and four. We could very easily be four and two at this point and even five and one, depending on how you feel about the Boston loss or the New Orleans loss. It, it can be it can be frustrating. It really is. So I tend to try my best to not because as as a human being, I obviously have my own biases. I try not to get into the Julius Randle discourse as much as I would like to, just because I know how toxic it can get. And at the end of the day, while I do have my preferences, I just want guys who are going to consistently try hard. And while Julius Randle's effort was better on, on Friday night, you can't shoot May 20th from the field. You can't shoot July 9th. I'm sorry. Um, January 9th. July 9th. (laughs) That'd have been awesome. You can't shoot January 9th from three. Like it's not, that's not what you want from a guy who is your all NBA performer, you know, we have, he, he set a standard for himself two all NBA seasons in three years. So we need him to approximate that if this team is going to be any kind of serious, unless you believe in some other plan B's. And I think this is a good place for us to open it up to some calls to hear what their plan B's are. Unless Chris, you want to jump Absolutely. in and get your plan B. Nah, callers, callers, callers. You know, I say all the time, like, uh, Sean, Sean says all the time that he and I could talk on the phone about basketball for hours. We do the show on Twitter Spaces so that we can hear from other people. I'll say the same thing, man. Mensa and I could go back and forth texting about this stuff forever. Um, while we wait for y'all to request to come up on stage, be a part of the show, come get your takes off, I will say, if you want to look at the Summer Jam screen, um, a certain someone had Harden's debut like four days before Shams Charania, so that was cool. Um, but it will be tomorrow against the Knickerbockers of New York. Um, he'll be wearing his snazzy new sneakers and making a, a debut in ho- for his Hollywood squad. Um, so, yeah, you know, in, in the continuation of the trend of everyone and their mother coming back against the Knicks at the Garden, Harden will be doing the same. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about AG1. Going into this season, I decided it was time to make a change. My digestion didn't feel its best. I felt sluggish, stressed, didn't feel as focused, and knew I needed to do something different. So I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and I hated taking pills or vitamins. Well, when I started drinking AG1 daily, not only could I see a difference in my daily health, but I finally had energy and noticed how much more relaxed and focused I was. That's because AG1 is a foundational 
Nutritional Nutrition Supplement that supports your body's universal needs, such as gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to evaluate your baseline health. Fun fact, I recommended AG1 to all my friends, family, and Mrs. Claudio. We drink AG1 first thing in the morning to make sure we have the energy needed to take on a busy day. There's no debate, AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash filmschool. That's drink. That's drinkag1.com slash filmschool. Check it out. Do we have a caller up on stage? Is that Mr. Cross? Yes, that is the one and only. I'll go on stage. <clears throat> hey, what's uh, going on, Robert? Good morning. I'll try, I'll try to be nice. What's going on? Uh, wow. It's two days later. I'm still feeling a little bit salty. You guys, <laughs> I don't blame you. You guys bring up some good points. Um, you like moving screens, Robert? Yeah, yeah, I love moving screens. I just run through them. It's yep. the best way to deal with deal with the moving <laughs> screen. I've done that before. Um, I'm concerned. Okay, so love Mensa's positivity. Obviously, it was very high heading into this year, and I think that there was good reason for it. Uh, but I'm definitely concerned. And in my day-to-day life, I work as a strategy consultant, and a lot of that work is figuring out the root cause issues and we have a root cause issue and that's my concern about it right so julius um has a history uh 10 years in the league is that what you guys are saying this is you know yeah lots of experience but you know i'll even throw a counter in there right now like the same way that um even though i've been on the earth for 21 years i've never been a 21 year old before like randall's only been a new york neck for a couple years randall's only been a number one option for a couple years and now he's only been a number two option for for this is his second year being a number two option right because you think about it he was the number one when he started in new york he was the number three in new orleans the number god knows who in los angeles so this is his second season ever being a number two option um so i think there's two sides to that coin yeah he's been a pro for a decade he's also only spent two years in the role that he's playing right now a year and a year and six games in the role he's playing now the issue to me is he set the standard last year of being good in that role so we're gonna hold him to it well but here here's my counter to your counter chris i don't even think and i, I don't know how true this is i think it's gonna play out in the next month i kind of get the feeling that he's not even two per se i feel i feel like he's a 2a or 2b with rj without with Barry. yeah I, I really believe that there's a couple of people who are talking about that too but um Julius is a fragile guy. I mean, he just is. His psyche is fragile. We've seen it. He's a different type of guy. I respect his effort. Played a lot of ball myself. Obviously not at this level. But he um, is erratic. He's chaotic. And I think that the act is wearing thin. So some of us that are reacting, that have seen this, we're reacting for good reason. It's earned. Like your stripes are earned at this point. The good and the bad. 
The good has been very good. Two times All NBA, two time All Star, came here, wanted the mantle, right? But the bad has also been very bad. The inconsistency, it's the effort. I don't care about the shot selection per se. It is the effort. Seeing some of this type of stuff on the court, and I know it's different times or whatever the case may be. Do you think some of this stuff would have flown, would have like flied with Riley's Knicks? No effing way. That's what pisses me off. It's always going to piss me off. Okay. So my second point to this, and this is where my my concern really comes in. Tibbs and Randall are kind of in bed together. This situation is somewhat inseparable, right? And you could see it in the post-game presser that Tibbs was not too happy and kind of animated. And I, th- and I personally feel it was in part to Julius for the, for the first time. I really feel that. How, how is- I think, I think to, to agree with you here, just to slide in one line, I do think Thibodeau does very carefully phrase things in post-game pressers <clears throat> to make sure to never blame just the players yeah. or just Randall or just a, he knows he knows that the only way he gets a good season out of Randall right. is by being on his good Correct. side. I, I do think there's something strategic to how Thibodeau plays it. For example, there was a game I think I think it was that Dallas game where they they lost that third quarter, forty-one to fourteen. Yeah, I mean Doncic was driving in. They were doubling every single time in the paint, and then Hardaway or Finney Smith, someone was open for three, and they'd make it. Um, and Thibodeau was asked after the game, like, I think it was Steve Popper, because, you know, Popper is, is one of the lead guys on the beat. He's got a good relationship with Tom. And Steve sits down and he goes, Tom, you guys came out in the second half. <laughs> Did you think you were ready to play? <laughs> and, and you know Thibodeau just wanted to be like, no, you know? But yeah, um, he was like, yeah, you know, we came out, we were ready, you just, you know, with this and this. It's like... Well, Chris, I, and then at the end, he goes, it's my job to get them ready to play. It's my job. It's my, you know, like he kind of remembers like, oh, I'll take fault. He doesn't want to blame this thing on Randall publicly because he knows that how sour that will go if he does. Right. But but by doing that, I agree with you 100 percent. But by doing that, he has made his bed. These two guys have made their bed. Right. So and that's fine if they're, you know, if you're winning and if the relationship's going good, but we've gotten a course, we, we've got come to a point heading into year five of this, and there's more professionals on this team, right? You got Brunson there, and, I'll, and, and I'm going to get to my final point around this situation, I'll get off the mic, and then you got RJ, right? I don't think that this team at this point... After- Who practiced today, by the way? RJ Barrett practiced today per Thibodeau. Thank you. Thank you, because I want to hear that. I don't think that these players coming out of that Miami series, you got Brunson, you got Mitch, you saw Mitch asking Julius where he was at on that last play. You got Mitch kicking ass. You got quickly kicking ass, right? I don't think that they're going to put up with this bullshit. I really don't. So that I, I just don't think it's going to be the same vibe this year with this, with this situation. And it's going to be tenuous. So I'm gonna so I'm gonna reference my my guy Sean with the W, right? This is what I want to say, and I firmly believe this. If you play ball, sometimes decisions are made on the court. My plan, if it were me, and this is my hope, 
the plan B becomes the plan A now. So if I'm R.J. Barrett and I get on the court, you take that ball out of his hands. Not literally. Yep. You take it out of his hands figuratively by your play, by moving, by moving the ball, by attacking the rim, by making the extra pass, by playing defense. Take the ball out of Julius's hands. You know, hands. People, people are really quick to say how Randall bullies his teammates on the court. He demands the ball. He just goes and takes the shot. I don't know the NBA rulebook very well. I'm not too familiar with the CBA compared to a Jeremy Cohen. I know damn well there's no rule that says any other Nick can't do it back to him. Now, will he scream at them after the game? Yeah, Randall used to hate Nerland's Noel. I'll tell you that right now. Remember how much everyone hated Nerland's Noel not being able to catch passes? He used to get ripped in practice by Julius Randall for that. And the whole team was kind of like, yeah, cool, like accountability, all that. Now it's time for his turn, right? It's beyond time for his turn. And and that's and that's where, I, you know, and again, I, I – and I'll kind of leave it at this because we got other people that want to speak, other people that want to talk, other voices. This season, I have a feeling it's going to either go real bad and Thibodeau's going to get fired or, or irons made through the fire and they're going to figure it out. I have a hard time believing, this is just my intuit speaking, that this is going to be like a, you know, an in-between type year. It's either going to go off the rails and if it goes off the rails, it's going to be because it's going to be be because of Tibbs slash Julius, or it's going to stay on the rails because Julius rolls does shift. I don't. I, I just that's just my feeling and into it. Thank you both. Love you guys. Love uh, KFS. Thanks for coming, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you it. Out, sharing your takes with us on the stage, especially with how measured they were. All right, yeah, let's go to our next um, speaker. I think we had Nick's, I can't, Nick's poll E equals MC squared. Welcome to the space. Thank you. What is your plan B for the New York Knicks? Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning to you guys. I appreciate the, the conversation. This is uh, AKA Pastor Claudio's OB Hive. Oh, ah, <laughs> welcome. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate you guys. Listen, I, I, I've been trying to figure out a way, and, and Robert Cross had a great, great take there. I, I just, I've been trying to figure out a way to like encapsulate or summarize sort of what I've been seeing with this team. And I just can't put my finger on it. Like what I, I kind of get the sense of like this team feels like they don't know what's happening either. Like they all kind of feel like they're in transition, which is interesting uh, juxtaposed to like the, the conversation about continuity, you know, and minimal changes to the, to the core foundation of the team. Right. I would have expected them to sort of uh, uh, mitigate any sort of like opening you know, season jitters and just kind of hit the ground running because of, you know, their experience playing together. And then that's sort of gone out the window at this point. And, and maybe we can attribute that to Randall's injury and the surgery and whatnot. Um, but I, I just, I get the sense of like this team doesn't know what direction they're heading in. And I don't know, Chris, obviously you're on the beat and stuff. Like it almost seems like there's like factions on the team. I don't know if that's true or not, but with the infusion of like, you know, the pro- proliferation of, like, the Villanova crew, does that kind of put Randall Moore on an island to his own? Uh, and, and you know, I, I don't know. And then the other thing is, like, with, with Obi moving on, um, you know, a lot of the conversation was, well, the league is small. You don't necessarily need a backup power forward because, you know, it's all about matchups, et cetera, which is fine. And I, and I know I, there was a lot of conversation about depth with this team. 
um, that they're a deep team, you know, and, and they can, and they can throw a lot of bodies at you. But, but that was really only in one position, you know, in like the shooting guard combo guard kind of size. Um, so my, my one, I posted something at Jumbotron. Um, if you guys want, or not in the Jumbotron rather in the chat. Um, but like, you know, the Knicks are, are last in, uh, I think three point field goal percentage and last in at rim percentage, but also first in like second chance opportunities and first and second chance. Um, I think scoring per 100 possessions, I think is what it is. Um, I guess my point is, is that everything's kind of built on Mitch, like you said earlier. And I'm concerned about that because a, there's no real size behind Randall and there's no, I mean, we have iHeart and Sims, but they don't really do what Mitch does. And this whole team is predicated on sort of spamming the hoop with a lot of shots, getting second chance points and, and being efficient in that way. But Mitch has an injury history and, if he gets hurt, like this can go off the rails really quick. I think iHeart and Sims are serviceable, but they do different things. And then with like Randall not having a backup, like let's say he tweaks his ankle. Like then what? Like Hart can't start at the power forward. Then what are we going to do? And my last point is I think we're also missing the absence of um, Obi and quickly as a combo because I think the two of them infuse the second unit with a lot of running gun energy, you know, with iHeart and stuff. And I, I think you're seeing the impact a little bit on quick. Um, you know, not that quick's ever like a break, break guys down off the dribble type player. <clears throat> he's pretty savvy and, you know, he's good at pull up shooting and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just feel like there's like a, a letdown with the energy level from last season to this season. And I just, I don't know. I get the vibe that like this team feels like they're almost like a placeholder roster until something else happens. I don't know what you guys think about that. Oh uh, yeah. Those are all great points. I'm just going to jump in really quickly um, and talk about quickly because the, I agree that, you, we can argue that we're missing Emmanuel Quick, um, Obi Toppin with Emmanuel Quickly because together they were like lightning in a bottle. However, I don't think that's why Quickly hasn't been having the impact he's been having. I think he played 22 minutes in a game on Friday where RJ Barrett's not in. And your team needs creation, your team needs off the dribble juice. And while Quickly isn't, you know, a cross tween, hezzy kind of guy. He gives you – he can create in a vacuum for you. So to be playing him 22 minutes in a game where you don't have R.J. Barrett, it's not what you want. Um, I think Tom Thibodeau, more than anybody else, has been holding Emmanuel quickly back. And I'm not trying to say that in a ter- – like that he's thrown the kid's career off the rails, but it isn't what you want to see. You want to see a guy like quickly get more minutes. Like when – last year, for example, when – any starter was out of the game. Emmanuel quickly would come in and he'd play 36. He'd play 40. And that would be the difference in a lot of games. Hello, the Boston Garden skipping incident, right? He came in, he played, I think, what? I forget how many minutes he played in that game, but he was excellent. He was on fire. And to take that role from him this year and give it to Josh Hart is, again, it's just not what you want. You can run Brunson, Quick, Grimes, Julius and Mitch out there as a starting five and blow the doors off teams. I think they were, I think Brunson and quick last year, they were something like plus like plus 11 or plus 18 in uh, per hundred possessions. They were great. So to see him not be allowed almost by his coach to have the impact that he had last year, again, it's only six games. We don't want to overreact too much, but I think that's what's missing more from Emmanuel quickly than Obi Toppin. Um, about the factions. I mean, yeah, you have the Villanova Knicks. You got nine to five. You got Emmanuel quickly and um, 
and RJ Barrett. Mitchell Robinson is, seems to be everybody's best friend. I do wonder that that is a good point. I do wonder if Julius Randle is kind of um, a loner almost. I mean, I know he's by himself with those sketchers. I know nobody else is going to follow him um, down that road. But um, I don't. I also don't think that's necessarily an excuse because you've been here five years. You know these guys. These guys know you. Guys have been drafted. Like like RJ Barrett said, he's only known NBA basketball with Julius Randle on his team. Same thing for Emmanuel quickly. Same thing for Quentin Grimes. Mitchell Robinson has been here, I think, six years. Julius has been here five. So, you know, like these guys really – Julius knows these guys. He knows these players. So, if any, if he's not comfortable with this team at this point, maybe that's a him thing. And, again, it just comes down to the same thing. He has to be better. He has to perform. He has to continue to – to play well. And I do love that chart that you posted. I even posted in the Jumbotron about our second chance points per 100 presented per, per 100 higher than everybody else. And are at the rim is not where you want it to be, like not even close. So that's a great chart by you. Thank you for sharing it. Um, thank you for your contribution. Chris, I don't know if you have anything you want to say. Uh, three. I got nothing. I mean, Menza, the only thing that I will say to this, you know, there are a lot of bodies on this team, right? And I think the chemistry, you got to refine it every year, right? Because now you got DiVincenzo, and you were talking about Hart. Um, there's only so many minutes to go around, especially with how talented that, the roster is. And that's another thing where I kind of go back to Tibbs. He does, I don't think he has an easy job this year. And trying to allot those minutes and keep everybody happy. It's easy. It's easier when they're winning. You're trying to figure stuff out. It's it's challenging. I agree. I agree. I agree. But the decisions with the minutes are made easier when you have guys missing games. RJ Barrett has missed what two games in a row now, right? And again, it's just inexcusable for Emmanuel Quickly, who was your third best player last year. Your third best. Even I say and I say your third best because he was consistently the second best player on the court, but never really the first. Um, it's it's in, it's irresponsible to not give a guy like that 30-plus minutes in a game where you don't have R.J. Barrett. I know Jalen Brunson had it going, but there's no rule that says you can't play Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly together. So I can't, let, together. I can't let Tibbs play good ball. Exactly. And so I can't let Tibbs off the hook for only giving Emmanuel quickly 22 minutes in a basketball. If, if Brunson's playing, then Grimes has to play, or if he's not, then Hart or DiVincenzo or both have to play. And one of Robinson and Hartenstein has to be on the court. And if Randall's playing, then Barrett and Hart can't both play. The, the, the Knicks roster construction has these little wrinkles that make only certain configurations work. And that's okay. That's life. That's basketball. That's how this shit works. The problem is when you're looking at a board of 100 lineup configurations and 84 of them aren't good because of your roster construction and out of the remaining 16 you're like what if we just banned six of them what if we just didn't use those (laughs) and i think that's okay to do with one or two i think if there's a lineup or two or three you really don't like then don't play them you're the coach don't play them i would say to thibodeau though that you know if i'm hypothetically giving advice here with just you know my very amateur perspective um from up in my my little my little radio row press seat um, that that the team plays better when Quickly's on the floor, and for the fourth or third straight season, his the net rating reflects that. So trust that. Just trust right. that. Trust your data. Chris, I just want to ask you real quick, or both of you about that. Um, Absolutely. 
don't you think Tibbs is a little bit too much in love with Josh, with Josh Hart? And, and when he came here, I wasn't thrilled with that transaction per se. Josh Hart's a good basketball player. has nothing to do with that. But I was worried that Hart would turn into Burks, so to speak. And again, another good basketball player. But I, I just feel that, like, IQ has to be playing more minutes. I don't care. Like, he's what? The fourth best player on this team? The fit, I, he's one of our best players. I, I just don't think he's playing enough minutes. I, and I'll back you up on that. Um, Wednesday, November 1st, the first game R.J. Barrett missed. I think it's the first game. I don't remember. Um, 28 minutes. Friday, he plays 22 minutes. Emmanuel quickly has not played 30-plus minutes in the game this season. Six games into the season, again, I don't want to push the alarm button too much. But Emmanuel quickly is too good to not be seeing – to not have seen 30 minutes per game and I've seen 30 minutes in one game this season when you have guys injured, especially R.J. Barrett. You know, like you can run Brunson quickly, Grimes, Randall, and and uh, Mitch. You can run that lineup. You absolutely can. So for the New York Knicks to not have played him, he's averaging 24 minutes on the season. I mean, you can kind of see that coming with all the – with the DiVincenzo and the Josh Hart additions to the team from last season. You could have seen Emmanuel quickly would have gotten a minute shave, but he's so important and he's so vital to what we did last year. He was so important to what we did in the We Here season. So, again, it's just not – it's not what you want to see. And I don't want to kill Tom Thibodeau for his rotations. I don't want to kill Tom Thibodeau for the record, but I will hold him accountable for not playing Emmanuel quickly more minutes. You just need to do it. There's, you have to find room for this guy who is in a contract year and motivated to blow the doors off the season. So you have a guy who's motivated to play well, and you're not giving him minutes, even though the minutes will be made available for him. It's just... Again, it's it's disheartening, and I'm not very happy about that. Can I ask a question about that, though, real quick? Because I feel like that was sort of to be expected with the acquisition of DiVincenzo because they kind of, like, doubled down on their, like, combo guard, you know, shooting guard type position. And, I, I like, somebody's minutes were going to get cut no matter what just because of the overlap and redundancies, no? Yeah, definitely, definitely, which is why I'm not too upset about it over the first couple games because we had a healthy roster. But with R.J. Barrett leaving, R.J. Barrett vacated, I think, what, 35 minutes? What was he averaging? You know, he vacated a lot of minutes. So you can give – instead of giving Brunson 45 minutes in a game, you know, you can give some of those to quick because we saw Brunson miss a shot that he normally makes down the stretch of a game. Maybe that's due to fatigue. Maybe he's tired. You know, it's there's possible – and you can play DiVincenzo, right? Like, let's say instead of – okay, let's say instead of Josh Hart getting as many minutes as he got, you give DiVincenzo those minutes because you want to space the floor, you want to shoot, and you're not necessarily worried about um, Chris Middleton, who's only playing 17 minutes a game. You know, um, you want to throw different looks at Giannis, but to be honest, nobody on the New York Knicks can guard Giannis, so I'm not too worried about that. You kind of just have to double down on what you're good at. And Emmanuel quickly – is the definition of what this team is good at. So I think it's really the last two games that I'm really trying to drive home with um, with Tom Thibodeau here because they're both losses and they're both games where Emmanuel quickly saw less than 30 minutes a game and there was opportunity to play him more. Matt, what was that last part? I'm- 
Yeah, no, I was just, I'm just saying that it's like over the last two games is where I'm most upset that Emmanuel quickly has not seen 30 plus. Yes. That's what I missed was the last two games. Okay. Yeah. You know, I wrote an article heading into the, not this season, but the season before saying that quickly needed to see 25 a night as a raw minimum based on the fact that I believed he was a top 100 NBA player. I would say now I think quickly, I would say he's a top 75 NBA player for sure. I would be comfortable saying that. I'm, again, these lists are really hard. I'm trying to be really vague. I would probably be willing to say 60 on a good day. I'd be willing to say 55 on a good day. You know, I'm just, I'm just trying to be vague. Top 75 guy who has a skill set that involves really good defense, really good off-ball defense, and really good shooting, which are things that you need desperately given your roster construction and who your stars are. It, it's just it, it's baffling to me that he that he's fighting for – sixth man minutes on a team where he is the clear sixth man and is arguably a top five player well, Chris, on the roster. I mean, Chris, you're close to the situation too, but I mean, that not that also part, part of why we're here in the sense that he wasn't signed to the yeah. extension? You know, like, well, I can tell, I tweeted, I tweeted this the day of, so I'm comfortable saying it again. The, the, the last offer I heard that he got was, if I, if I worked for his camp, it, it would have been real easy to work for his camp. I would have said, don't take that shit. <laughs> I'll <laughs> take that bullshit. So, you know, it, I think the Knicks made an offer that would be advantageous to them if he took it. I think they put an offer on the table where if it got taken, they'd be happy it got taken. I'm not sure where those negotiations went after what I last heard. I'm not sure if they upped their offer significantly. What I do know is the fact that they were even willing to offer what I heard they offered was a sign that they're probably not aggressive enough in trying to retain him, which I don't think they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not happy that Emmanuel quickly was not signed. Um, but yeah, let's jump um, to our next callers. Jump to Eddie Presti. He's had his hand up for a little while. I want to get him speaking. So, Eddie, welcome to the stage. What's your take? Hey, what's, hey, what's going up? on? Good what's, afternoon. What's up, fellas? Uh, my take is, is pretty simple. Uh, through six games this season, I, I think the, the bottom line is the Knicks really can't shoot the basketball. I mean, that's that's really it. Everybody's out here and we're all talking about, okay, well, switching, you know, rotation, switching up, you know, giving guys different minutes. If you're dead last in the league in field goals, you're not going to win games. I, it doesn't matter who we who we play, uh, what rotations we have. The Knicks right now have a shooting problem, and it's a major shooting problem. It's a major. I know a lot of people are getting on Randall. I, I, I get on him too. He's been awful. He's been he's been dreadful. But in the one game versus Atlanta, okay, he actually won us that game. I, he, he was not efficient in that game either. But he had nine clutch points down the stretch of that game, and he's the reason we won. But he's also been the reason we've lost a ton of games because I, I don't know what's going on with him, but I don't know if it's, you know, with Randall, is it the good year, bad year, good year, you know, one, off, one on, one off? I don't know if that's what's going to happen again with him because that's been the trend in his career. But if that is the trend and Randall is going to have another off year, the Knicks roster, they're going to have a hard time, you know, qualifying for, you know, the playoffs. They're looking at probably a play-in. Now, again, I'm not, this is not, a big enough, a big enough sample size for me to go and say that. But if I, when I look at this roster, I, I I see a roster that's flawed to me. I think after we watched that that series against Miami, 
my take out of that was they need another guy. We need another real option who could carry us home at the end of games because really it was Brunson, you know, RJ to a, to a degree last season, uh, RJ to a degree in that series, but there was nobody else. You know, uh, Randall wasn't really good in the playoffs. He was horrible. IQ wasn't good in the playoffs. Now, you know, what, what do they got to do from here? I, I don't know. You know, because unless Randall gets back on track, they're screwed because his value will be tanked. If he has another year like he did in 21-22, the Knicks are going to be in big, big trouble. And he's going to be hard to unload. You're going to, like, get, you know, expiring contracts and things like that for him back. It's, it's going to be tough to sell him. As far as what you guys were talking about with IQ, uh, Chris, I don't know what the offer is. I, I wish you could say. Uh, but, you know, judging from what you were saying, just reading between the lines, sounds like it was low. I would love to know what that offer is. But I like IQ a lot. I, I think he's been probably, other than RJ, our most consistent player. He's a guy that's – I know he had that one bad game, but he's been consistent. He's been efficient. But – the problem with IQ and Brunson, if you play them together, it's a small lineup. And I like IQ in the six-man role because I think you get the most out of him. I think you get the best out of IQ when you put him in the six-man role. But as far as just looking at the future, I'll, I'll say I'll give them 20 games before I start saying, you know, you know, trade for this guy, trade for that guy. I like I, that number. Was, was that? I like that number. I like that yeah. patience. Yeah, I, I, I have to because you have to, get, like, you know, you have to. Get oh, you'll things. drive yourself crazy. I hey, mean, you, have you to know, give a JJ Redick probably went 0 for 11 from 3 one night if I had to guess. Like, you know. Yeah, l- listen, you, you got to give a quarter of the season before you start going nuts. But if I, I'll, I'll land my plan here. I think the Knicks messed up by by getting uh, DiVincenzo. I. I I've been a big, you know, go get Kuzma guy. I think they should have got Kuzma instead of DiVincenzo. I know they would have had to move money around, but I think he would have been a perfect wing for them. I would have played him at the three and put uh, Julius at the four. And I probably wouldn't have bought back Josh Hart. But that would have been my my answer because at least if you if the Knicks would have got Kuzma, you had another option. Kuzma, I know he's not the best three-point shooter, but he's a guy that could finish around the basket. He's a guy that's another option for your team. And he provides that length that this team kind of needed. So, uh, you know, listen, again, we're six games in, but maybe the, the length Knicks- is there. The le- I'll give you that the length is there, but it's not functional defensively. It's he's not functional. Not, no, he, he's not the best. Kuzma's not the best defensive player. You're right. He's, he's another flawed player, but at that money he's making – on a descending contract, which he got, I think he'd be uh, like a really good fit because you you weren't going to give up anything of value. Oh, the, to get the guy him. can play. We yeah. know that. I think he got I, underrated and memed as a Laker, you know, and it kind of ruined his reputation a little bit. Yeah, but the guy you, can play. If if you watched him last season, he kind of took that next step. You know, you saw his confidence last season playing with the Wizards and. You know, the Wizards are just a screwed-up organization. I mean, they fired their GM in June, and that's why they got nothing back for KP. I, I know they got something uh, back for Beal. Actually, they made a pretty good trade for him, but they could have got something for Kuzma, too. So, 
they're they're a they're a messed up organization. But that's all I really got. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. Thank you. So Thank, much, you. Thank you. Let's go quickly to Kevin. Hey guys, um, thank you for having me in the space. What's going uh, on, Kev? What's going on with you, Chris? Um, was good hanging out with some of you Friday night. Um, I just want to say that I have not looked at a single number. Um, I have not looked at a single point of data um, because we're still, I and I will not be doing so until we hit the 10th game. Once we hit the 10th game, I will start to look at some data, and once we hit the 20th game, I'll start to take that data data seriously. Until then, um, I'm not too worried about this team. Um, I want to echo what John Macri said, and that he looked at the schedule before the year and said 5-5 five and five is uh, should be the goal for the first 10 games, and I still think we can get there. Um, I think this Clippers game is a big one. Um, I think we need to we need to get that we need to get that one uh if we can't do that um i like our i like our chances to get to that record because i think we can beat the spurs i think we can also beat the hornets um and i do also want to say that it was absolutely disgusting that emmanuel quickly only played 22 minutes and julius randall played 39 uh we are in year four of Julius Randle getting way too many minutes under Tom Thibodeau when he does not deserve it. That needs to go. I understand that uh, they didn't have a real backup for, but uh, you need to figure out a way to get quickly in that closing lineup because he was great. Um, And uh, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, thank you, man. I think... I agree with you that Emmanuel quickly should not be playing 17 less minutes, 17 fewer minutes than a guy like Julius Randle, who's just been given too much leeway to figure it out. Maybe at at the point where it's like, okay, Julius, you can figure it out in practice where you're not hurting us. Um, And yeah, you said that we could beat the Hornets. I just, I I can't resist it. I know a team that couldn't beat the Hornets last night. Hello. Um, But thank you. Thank you, Kyle. We appreciate your take. Um, let's move on. Uh, Brutus, what's up? Talk to me. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up, y'all? How's everybody, man? How y'all doing, man? Uh, great Busy, space. Man. Good to hear from you. Good afternoon. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Um, I just wanted to talk about, you know, potential players that we could have had. It. I, I heard uh, Eddie talking about Kuzma. I know that he definitely loved that guy. But here's a, a list of players that we could assign for less than $3 million a year, and some of them are doing like what a Kuzma would have done. The number one of of that being Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre is a player that we could have signed outright uh, in the offseason. He's making $2.8 million this season uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers, currently uh, averaging over 20 points and uh, shooting high percentages. Um... There's other players that we could have picked up because one of the things that I see that we definitely have wrong is that we do not have a another wing player. We do not have a bona fide uh, power forward replacement for a Julius Randle. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Somebody can invite Brutus, get him up here, because I cut him off by accident. That was totally not the plan. I think he was just getting started cooking. But until we get Brutus up, let's go to Khalil. Thank you for joining us, Khalil. What do you got for me? Oh, shucks. Um, Hey, how y'all doing? It was good. Uh, Chris, Mensa. What's up, man? Uh, How y'all doing? Um, I, I tend to be pretty positive. You know, generally, but I'm not gonna lie. I'm very, I'm very troubled. I'm very troubled, not because I think we're gonna get into like this deep hole that's gonna be real, yada yada yada. Um, I'm, I'm troubled because I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like we're just stop making away from getting this back on track, and I think it, it does have a lot to do with what we're seeing from. Julius's attitude and play on the floor. Now, um, if he if he has a get right game tomorrow, um, and like I don't know, does some woosa sh- shit or whatever, like maybe that that's all we need really. But I think the combination of 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 him with the 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 lack of perimeter shooting we're seeing. And just the disjointedness of our offense um, has me nervous for, you know, when, you know, 10 games, 20 games down, if something doesn't give. Now, I, I will say I, you know, for all the consternation that's been made about, you know, not having a backup for how small we are, um, we're still a top five defense right now in these six games. And I see a lot of room for improvement there as well. So it's more than likely that we will end up a top 10 defense um, this season. Um, it's just about like, what, what does the offense look like? And I, I, you know, you're talking about like plan B, what's plan B. And, you know, uh, Brutus um, was starting to talk about, you know, Folks, we should we could have gotten um, you know Eddie Eddie mentioned Kuzma who um, I I was intrigued by in the right sort of deal or whatever, but I think like none of that stuff matters right now to me, right? I don't see I don't see a defensive minded playmaking big wing that's going to be available on the cheap by the trade deadline. I don't see the perfect star fit next to. Brunson and RJ on the horizon right now where we'll still be able to be like, I don't see any of that. Right. So it's like, 
I'm I'm annoyed that like we are kind of like resigned to just letting this play out. But I am optimistic by like what we've seen with like RJ's ascension um, quickly, you know, continuing, you know, to grow his, you know, three level scoring, uh, especially in that mid range um, that we saw from last year, um, you know, Grimes uh, starting to knock down shots. Um, I think I think it's going to take like just like real consistent internal development from our young guards. Um, and so for me, plan B is RJ supplanting, firmly supplanting Julius as as the number two, as a secondary playmaker. So that's contingent on him continuing to pass the ball, continuing to make plays for others, um, and then getting that bigger role um, in the offense. Um, that's contingent on Grimes making shots when he when he takes them. Um, and, and and taking taking shots when he's open. Um, I don't need a lot from Grimes. It's clear he's not going to have a big role in this offense right now. So he just we just need more of what he's supposed to do. Um, and and then as it as it goes with Quick, his 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 perimeter shooting has been streaky uh, per the six hand. I think he's like what thirty two percent from three, like like five point eight attempts or something like that. He he need, he needs to he needs to get get that up to over over league average. Um, even even regardless of like what we're seeing of like his usual playmaking and defense. Um, I think you get those things right, and if if Brunson really is back for uh, the books game, which was uh, another masterclass wasted, I think we'll, we'll we'll be a really good offense combined with a really good defense, and that's a that's a really good NBA team. Yeah, so. Um, I am troubled, um, but I do think there is a path out of it, and that's only with what we have right now. We'll see what what happens closer trade deadline of like you know who overperforms, underperforms, becomes made available. But I think as it stands now, uh, the only hope for Knicks fans is seeing these guys continue to develop and having like the best, the, supposedly the best players on the team like produce what we're used to them producing. We don't need all NBA Julius, but we need like efficient 2010 and five. Um, we, 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 we need Brunson to be efficient regardless of whether he has four assists, 10 assists, you know, like, and we need our guys to make their threes. Like if we, if we get that and strong team defense, we're going to be a very formidable team, but I think we just got to wait and see a little longer. And hopefully tomorrow we get 48 minutes of two eighteen basketball from these guys. Great takes, man. Really, really good takes. Um, you said that we don't have like they're not necessarily a trade target as far as like a big wing that's out there. Um, I just want to throw some hypothetical names out from teams in the Western Conference that I don't expect to continue to be this good. One guy is a guy like Grant Williams. Is Julius Randle a change of scenery candidate where we can move him back home to Dallas and he could be like clearly no questions asked the third option in Dallas where they have Julie with, I'm, I'm sorry, where they have Luka Doncic and where they have Kyrie Irving. Could he move into a more comfortable role there? That's a question may not happen, but Hey, that's a big wing that I know a lot of people wanted. And that's a guy that I think the Knicks even flirted with signing in the off season. Another guy, a guy that I am higher on than maybe 
99.5% of Nick's Twitter, and that's Carl Anthony Towns. Don't look now, but the Minnesota Timberwolves have number one defense in the NBA, and Carl Anthony Towns is one of, I think, five players in the league with a defensive rating under 100. I think he's at 98.7. I've always believed that Carl Anthony Towns could play power forward, and I've always believed Carl Anthony Towns can do exactly what Julius Randle is doing for the Knicks, except make quicker decisions and actually set screens. So those are two guys that I've personally been keeping my eye on for the New York Knicks as far as trade targets go. Carl Anthony Towns obviously being more realistic than Grant Williams because we continue to hear Cat's name in the rumor mill and he's playing like a good basketball player again. Um, but yeah, really solid takes. We need the New York Knicks. We, need, we don't need Quentin Grimes to be Clay Thompson. We don't need him to be prime J.J. Redick, but we do need him to be Quentin Grimes. We don't need Julius Randle to be the all-NBA level if R.J. Barrett's taking a step forward and Emmanuel quickly is who he is. And again, having a master class from Jalen Brunson makes everything more comfortable. We don't need him to play at that all-star level, but we do need him to regress closer to what he used to be because having an all-time bad start in maybe the most important Knicks season of my life is not what you want. Like, not even close to what you want. So, yeah, really, really, really solid takes there. Chris, you have anything you want to add? It was- Thank you guys for tuning in. Mensa, did you, it, was that a final note, calls? Mm. Um, uh, I was just, um, I think, I think he's, yeah, Khalil was our last speaker. So, yeah, if you just wanted to add anything. That's what I'm saying. Was that like a final? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 was, I was pushing it forward. Um, listen, we got some big games coming up to discuss coming ahead. I want to literally talk about them. And why I think they're important real quick. Clippers tomorrow, lots of talent. Going up against lots of talent. Again, how do you how does the team handle it? Do they give up early on? How does Randall take the matchup against Leonard and George? Usually pretty personally. The Hornets, Wednesday. Sorry. Spurs Wednesday. When Minyama coming to town, you're getting a different look thrown at you. Can you handle that defensively? Are you ready for that height? Kristaps gave you trouble. Are you ready for this? And also Sunday is the Charlotte Hornets. They are playing a really free style of basketball with some tight defense. Um, defense isn't good. It's bad. But it, it is. there is some effort going on. And um, can the Knicks, can the Knicks take care of business and not play with their food? So those are my three big questions this week for the games coming up ahead. I can't wait to hear what y'all have to say about it next week on Study Hall. I think it'll be Sean and I. Um, Mensa, it's probably your off week next week, so I don't even know the rotation like that. Uh, <laughs> just show up and hoop. But listen, man, thank you guys for tuning in. Mensa, any final notes from you before I sign us off? Yes, I personally think that this needs, not needs to be, but there is a lot of potential for this this um week to be a 3-0 week for the New York Knicks. We have more talent than the Spurs. We have more talent than the Charlotte Hornets, the Clippers are more talented than us, but that's the first time they're going to be playing with James Harden. And like you said, Julius Randle takes that matchup seriously whenever he goes up against Podcast P, one of his good friends in the league. So I'm happy to see that this team is slowly coming to form. If we don't necessarily like if we don't really focus on the Julius Randle of it all, seeing Jalen Brunson play well was encouraging. Seeing Quentin Grimes hit five threes in the game was encouraging. 
having RJ Barrett back is encouraging because he's maybe been our best player this season. And I'm again, I'm not losing the faith. I'm not losing the hope. We're two and four right now. It's very possible that by the next study hall, we could be five and four. I'm not ruling that out and I'll never count these Nick, these Knicks out. So until next time, guys, thank you for joining us. We're very happy to have you. We'll be here every weekend to recap the season with you guys. All right. Well, with that said, thank you, Mensa. I want to thank, well, shout out CT Pittman in the chat. Shout out Kyle in the chat. But I want to thank Kalia. I want to thank Robert Cross, Brutus, Eddie Presti, everyone that came up on stage and contributed. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for being part of the show. For Sean with the W in his everlasting presence, he'll return next week. For Mensa, for Nick's Film School, I'm Chris Persiani, and thank you guys for coming, tuning in, calling in giving us your takes, and I'm signing off now saying see you next week. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.